Hey, Mayday listeners, welcome to the final installment of the Testaments Book Club podcast from Mayday. Thank you all for listening this season. We got one more podcast coming up, which is an interview with Renee Nault, who is the adapter and illustrator for The Handmaid's Tale graphic novel. Uh, so listen up for that. And also this week and probably this weekend, we'll be drawing for the prizes for our Handmaid's Halloween, uh, bleeding in a little bit to November. But I want to thank all of you who has participated in that and followed us on Facebook and uh, really got into that. It's been a lot of fun. So look forward to all of that. But right now, let's get you into the final installment of the Book Club podcast. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Is this it? Mayday. Is it? Man, if I am doing something wrong, the person I want to stay behind and cover for me is for sure Aunt Lydia. Mm-hmm. For sure. Those spontaneous lies were amazing, mm-hmm. and she came up with them so quick, and they all made sense, and people yeah. believed her and were like, you're so right. I am not I good at like, that. man, <laughs> that is the person that I need yeah. to cover for me if I'm ever going to do something <laughs> super bad. <laughs> but I think it's because over time she built that. Oh, yeah. Oh, demanded well, that, and she's you know, just from that a genius from coming into this. Right. I mean, she was clearly a super smart, educated person to yeah. have come out of the childhood she had and reach the levels of law and society that mm-hmm. she had before it came crashing down in the Gilead takeover. Right. I think it's clear that mm-hmm. she is just, you know... Head and shoulders above the average person. Any, right. Commander. Yeah. Comes any, any commander theologically driven. And honestly, even the, I think the grit and the resilience mm-hmm. that the girls needed to mm-hmm. get through when they were on the boat or with, what was the captain's name again? Mishim- Mishimoto. Mishimoto. Yeah. Um, I think also speaks a lot to women and what we're capable of, right? And the resilience. And I think that's all purposeful on Margaret Atwood's part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Women are going to rule the world Mm -hmm. and should rule the world. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, my male listeners. But I'm not going to hide my feelings when it comes to that. It's time. (laughs) It's time. And looking back to, like, that's definitely why we got so much of the stadium scene with Aunt Lydia. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was trying to prove, like, how resilient she was coming Mm -hmm. into that. And how so many women weren't, yeah. really. Or, well, yeah, around her, true. right? Like, right. not used to this right. this level of a challenge. Yeah. And um, she even references that in this section of the book toward the end. She says, was there a bullet in my gun? There was. Oh, that was a great Because line. early on, she referenced that they didn't know, they didn't tell they didn't her know. when they were loading some of the guns if she would have mm-hmm. a bullet or not. Um, a la very traditional uh, firing squads. Mm-hmm. And that she knew when she fired that she did have a bullet. Um, I thought that was really interesting and really spoke to like her doing whatever it takes to survive, but also being willing to accept the consequences of that, mm-hmm. um, even if they're mm-hmm. not what she wants. I didn't see any in Lydia. I didn't see any of her trying to like justify or overturn consequences. She was just looking for her next move, right? She was Always. just like moving yeah. on to the next thing. And how do I navigate this new situation because right. of that? And I don't think she ever wanted to have any regret about what she should have done or didn't do at any moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't think that um, her 
seeming gradual turn if we are to take both the handmaid's tale and testaments at face value her like turn to maybe her underlying goodness um was like trying to make up for anything that she's done previously well i guess it depends if you yeah i know it, that's the why handmaid's tale is going to be the only book or if there was a sequel i mean asking. i mean i guess if we take it into consideration there are two books and yes we would have to say everything was purposeful and she's probably trying to make amends for something that she did or realized, I can't behave in this way. It's not who I am. Um, I need to take this challenge on of overthrowing this right. corrupt yeah. society and she terrible did, place. She did have some mentions. I didn't bookmark them, so I can't quote them. Um, but she did definitely have some mentions of, like, kind of speaking to her reader in more of a, well, we shall see if, like, I have earned this mm -hmm. or if this mm -hmm. is the way that my actions are meant to be seen. You know, she mm -hmm. was referencing, like, a knowledge that because she was leaving this holograph for future readers, that they would be judging her and judging mm -hmm. her actions. And, you know, based on everything that she thought to include, um, would be making declarations about her innate goodness or yep. maybe evil depending right. on how they how they took it so she was definitely very aware and prepared for yes so either prepared. interpretation of who so she is prepared. she seems so willing to accept whichever way the the cards fell mm -hmm. i loved her last chapter too um send off mm, yes. i think i think i just love the fact of her picturing a woman reading this transcript and reading her words um and she, she said, I situate you at your desk. Your hair tucked back behind your ears, your nail polish tip for nail polish will have returned. It always does. <laughs> I don't know, just, I guess just the fact that she was picturing a woman mm -hmm. possibly studying history, reading all this. Did, I felt very struck at this last, like, one and a bit pages chapter. Um, the very last chapter before you get to the symposium. Mm -hmm. um, I felt very struck by how much this felt a lot like Offred's last chapter in The Handmaid's Tale, where she mm -hmm. was waiting for the van right. that she knew was coming. Um, oh. And doesn't she hear boots, too? I can't remember. That's a good question. I, think I can't does. remember she if we get to where she hears footsteps yeah. instead of, yeah. Yeah, and she's just waiting. She knows they're coming. She doesn't know if it's to save her or to damn her, but she knows they're coming and is waiting. Um, which was what they used as the end of the first season on The Handmaid's Tale show, I believe. Is that right, Justin, in the wings? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she gets in the van, you don't know what's happening to her. The and end. Then, yeah, and she says, to, what is it, to darkness or to, what is the end of The Handmaid's Tale? Mm, let's look, I she have says it in, right here. She says either into darkness or into light or something like that. I could be butchering that. Let's check. Let's check. We have the book. The van waits in the driveway, its double doors stand open. The two of them, one on either side now, take me by the elbows to help me in. Whether this is my end or a new beginning, I have no way of knowing. I have given myself over into the hands of strangers because it can, can, can't be helped. And so I step up into the darkness within, or else the light. That's okay. Good memory, Winnie. I don't know. <laughs> can't remember where things are in the book, but sometimes I remember random lines. <laughs> So what do we think of the symposium? I mean, it was a big shock, of course, at the end of The Handmaid's Tale mm -hmm. um, to all, I imagine, to all readers. And this is yet another book where I'm like, how can some people read the end before they get there and then read the book? I just don't understand. Yeah. Um, 
So The Handmaid's Tale ends with the shocking revelation that the entire The Handmaid's Tale story was a series of tape cassettes that historians found locked in a metal footlocker in what used to be Bangor, Maine in the United States. Um, and that it's being presented at what in The Handmaid's Tale is the 12th Symposium on Galadian Studies in the year 2195. So in The Testaments, less shockingly, it ends in the historical notes of the 13th Symposium of Galadian Studies in the year 2197, so two years later. Um, weirdly, with the same chairperson, uh, Marianne Crescent Moon, who has oh. gotten uh, left her job for a better job. In The Handmaid's Tale, she was professor of some college, and in the Testaments, she is uh, prof- she is president of some other college. Hmm. Oh, interesting. However, um, the keynote, Professor James Darcy, I have no idea how to say your last name, but it starts with a P, uh, has exactly the same job at the same university. He is Piotto. still... Piotto, uh, yeah. He is still professor Piotto at the same university. Like um, I thought that was really interesting that it was the same historians like it could have been anybody right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just that like surely more than just this group of people are interested in this kind of historical knowledge but also like at a symposium like that there are a lot of speakers yeah and the odds of the same person being running it year after year also not great like and the same oh. keynote is odd. yeah the same keynote speaker so so interesting so i take that to mean that we're supposed to notice these like slight variations on their mm-hmm. characters like mm-hmm. she has risen in her ranks and gone on to what when i look them up sound like this the more recent one sounds like a bigger university okay um and that he is doing the same job but also like clearly he does field work or whatever so yeah um, you know, his same, I'm sure, very fulfilling for him, professorship. <laughs> um, and he, in the Testaments, kind of references that he was a keynote speaker two years ago and that he has noted that some of his remarks were not taken kindly. And yeah. um, I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah, like, what kind of totally to been offend. throwaway characters actually, like, have a tiny bit of background? Yeah. So what did you guys think about the symposium this time? It still surprised me. Like, I knew it wasn't, like, I think I said that before. Maybe yeah. I said that. That it surprised me that it was going to happen, and I was like, well, of course it's going to. Yeah. Um, I still feel like that's just a sign of good story yeah, writing, right? I think it is, like, you yeah. just forgot. I just forgot. I agree. I've reread The Handmaid's Tale several times over the years, and I don't think there's been a single time that I haven't been like, oh, yeah, yeah. At, when I get to that part, because I always forget. Because mm-hmm. it feels so real and visceral. I thought it was interesting that they said that the Mayday group used the same Underground Railroad in antebellum, antebellum times. I just, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, neat. I don't know if that was really that important, but I, I thought that was a neat um, just historical reference. Yeah. And to think that that was still useful. And It made me happy to read that that was true in this book because mm-hmm. that's something that they have noted in the show. Uh, um, when they yeah. talk about the underground female road, mm-hmm. um, that just like makes me kind of happy. Yeah, and I was glad it wasn't link? just like a random show choice. I mean, not that any of the choices in the show are, are random. random. <laughs> we know they're not right. random. Don't hate me, Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was I was happy to see that made it in here. Um, although I did feel it was sort of like the tying it up with the bow, like Leo was saying. I loved the dedication on the statue oh, to Becca. Becca and I was like oh yeah <laughs> oh glad. yeah that was yeah. so sweet and 
I feel like Becca is such an unsung character in this book. Like, there's so much yes. to talk about mm-hmm. and so much happening, and hardly any of it is about Becca. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she still kind of manages to stand out as a really um, important, well thought out yeah. character for yes. the little the little page time that she gets. She seemed very mm-hmm. well um, crafted. Yeah, she's one of those like very real. minor sort of static characters because she doesn't really change. She just shows Becca the whole time yeah. that influences a lot of other characters. I was going to say, they needed her, though. They needed yeah. her. Yeah, she's, yeah, I think, I, yeah, she I was find important those really in several places. interesting characters. And, you know, it's not nothing to give your life so that the two right. main characters can make it and survive, right. right? Yeah. I mean, she and Aunt Lydia sacrificed themselves, essentially. Well, I, Becca, definitely. And Aunt Lydia did what she did, knowing that she was, she was going to get caught. Yeah. I find that now that I have finished this book, I find myself really uncomfortable with, like, trying to characterize how I feel about Lydia's character now. Because there are some things that she did that are undeniably kind of heroic. Mm-hmm. And some things that she did that, like, I mean, just to these to these two girls' mother, you know? I mean, right, just, right. it's not like, it's not ancient history. And it's some, some of the things were not just to save her own skin. Right. And so, like, looking at those diametrically opposed actions it's just really hard for me to wrap my head around like do I feel like she is the hero like MVP of this book I mean sometimes but sometimes I look at her actions and say like well maybe this had been over sooner if you hadn't been around and the onset hadn't been so terrible like Mm. I don't know how much of that horrible stuff was really down to her influence and her direct actions over the years yeah that she now needed to try to make up for it that, and how much of it right. would have been that terrible already without her? Yeah. I feel like that calls out a lot of people's behavior today because, you know, as a privileged person, you are not Aunt Lydia running the, the women's, you know, the aunt's group or whatever. But are, am I acting in a way that is furthering the suffering of other people with because I just am trying to live my life the way that I want to live it without intentionally hurting people right i mean she does intentionally like do it do, like right. but like there's sort of this clothes ex- that were probably not made super ethical right the other mm-hmm. side of the yeah world. but but Things at the like same that. time i also have because of the privilege have the power in many ways to like stop these kinds of things so like not that i feel like she's sort of this extreme extension of that but i think it calls to our attention that we also have that power that effect on people when we're in a position of social status and power mm-hmm. you know what i mean I like that way of thinking about it. I don't know. I mean, I'm going way off the rails here, but I, it makes me, it does there call into no question. There is no way off the rails on the show. Well, yeah, because I think she, you, you do, you, you are conflicted about her and you're kind of like you, yeah, you did the right thing, but also you're awful. And sometimes I feel like that's just true about people. You know, that's just, yeah, that would, isn't, yeah. I mean, right. Like yeah. if I think about yeah. other texts that do this, right, that yeah. explore what we're capable of right. when you're pushed to certain limits and. Um, the lengths that you would go to, what you would do, you would never think like I would ever hurt someone willingly, right? Right. But if I was but then challenged, when you think about or, like what if somebody was, you know, what if things were going to happen to your child? Oh, like then, oh, absolutely, game right. on, right? right. Yeah, yes, I, mean, I would not hesitate. Exactly, and so of course I think that it's within us to right. behave in this way. In context. Um, but I don't know if I would go as far to say that she's the heroine of the book. I, I don't know about heroine, but, like, MPP? Like, 
Would um, any would any of this happen? Would Gilead have been well, taken I don't down think without that, her? I don't it have like. I just Gilead these are the things that swirl in my right. head. Would have come down as maybe as easily had she not had her hand. You think in it would have happened though? I think it definitely would have happened. Is the next most likely like cause of Gilead? I think it just would have without her, just yeah. like any other organ like country or organization where the it, you run out of resources, you run out of right. people to lead mm-hmm. it. There is mutiny with among the people. Like I think it would have been. The econo class would have rebelled or something like that. Yeah. You know, there would have been. That's kind of the result that they talk about a little bit in the yeah. symposium. Right. Was that, like, all of this mm-hmm. information in the cash that Lydia sent up in uh, Daisy's scar <laughs> up to yeah. Canada. <laughs> so Thank weird. God she didn't die from the infection <laughs> oh on God. the way right. there. Yeah. Um, from the information cash that she sent up, they, they kind of briefly describe that that's kind of what happened. Right. Like, the information came down. out. And the people who were like barely holding back, like finally said enough. Let the enough. dams fall. Right. Yeah. And, and things started falling apart. Yeah. That's very interesting. I think I think I have a lot of interest. This sounds kind of like weirdly morbid. I have a lot of interest in like how regimes fall generally in the world. Because it seems you know, not the same over and over per se, but like like, the same factors are yeah. involved, and, like, they just find new ways to, like, screw the people in charge, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, people in charge, like, get to, um, get too, too privileged for the seats they're in, you know? Mm-hmm. They start thinking of themselves as above the law, right. above everybody else. Um, they start making unreasonable decisions about economics and who is going to be affected by things. Right, unilateral decision yeah, unilateral decision making that is not in the best interests of peop- the people they're there to serve. Best interests of themselves, they stop, though, right? They stop yeah. looking at themselves as servants of the people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it happens over and over again in lots of different types of regimes and leaders all over the world. And so, I think this is like such an interesting study on this one. Mm-hmm. I I kind of wish there was like a very very nerdy sequel to this that was <laughs> just all about the politics. Like I would <laughs> oh, totally, that would be so I interesting. I would totally read that. Mm-hmm. Anybody else read that book if it came out? I would. Oh yeah. I don't know if I would. <laughs> <laughs> That's an honest answer. That's a very like, honest. Can you just tell me about it? <laughs> yeah. I I would totally not, read that book. I don't know. I probably would just because it would be a part of this whole group, but I would not naturally pick up a book on politics and how oh, really? fall. No. Totally and I would be would. interested in the takeover piece of it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we still yeah. have like very little of that. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. I was early on in this book, like, so excited to be getting information from somebody else's perspective mm-hmm. on how Gilead came to be. And then, like, it just stopped. It and fizzled. at first I didn't notice. And then, like, I got to the end of the book and I'm like, but no, I need more information. <laughs> Yeah, and I it's so very more, like, what, individual stories, too. How did Judd too? get to be as all-powerful as he is? I'm mm-hmm. sure that he wasn't the one person in his situation in the beginning of Gilead. There had to be a group of them, right? right. Like, what happened to the other ones? Well, and who, who would we have heard that from? We would need probably need another character. Like, yeah, another Commander character Judd himself or something or, like that. I don't know. I don't, but then it would have gotten messy. I don't yeah. know that I would want to hear any books about this world from a man's perspective. From a man, yeah. 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 Well, then, yeah, that's, I guess that's what I I think that would, like, fundamentally change my understanding of this world. And then I would really probably not like this book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I would like to hear it from, like, an outsider perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, Like just studying. Yeah. I mean, maybe not that particular person, because, like, boy, he 
says a lot of words to say not very much information. But besides that, yes, I would like to hear it from like a scholar or historian. I think that would be cool. I don't know. So after this book, like, are there any like uh, Handmaid's Tale world um, wishful sequels you guys would like to see? Written. I want June's story still. Like I want really? those. Yes, I want those years in between what we've seen like, in the TV show out? and this. Yeah. Yes. How did she get out? Because there has to be yeah. a story. Well, there is a story behind the fact that she either could not seek out her own two daughters, could not rescue them because she was. I think they said she was almost in like a witness protection type thing. You know, she was hidden I think away. They referenced triple protection at one and point. And didn't they I was say, like, "Holy shit, what does that mean?" Are and there, like, I think three they layers of guards to get to her. What and they reference assassination attacks too. Yeah, two of them. So I'm super interested that in failed. that. Yeah, which seems crazy when and you think about that. It. Like she was in Canada, like working for Mayday, which was like an unofficially, it was not a recognized organization, and like officially it was declared as a terrorist terrorist organization, organization right? In Canada, so like they couldn't officially have anything to do with them, but yet two assassination attempts on her person were foiled. Like yeah, yeah. Whoa, and it's just that's like a legit. Her- organization right pulling off a lot of big things and maybe it's just because my interest you know that's just my personal yes. interest yeah but it's just her whole character is so centered around getting her children back getting yeah. hannah back so i i want to know this complicated life she lived in canada where yeah. she couldn't do that or she couldn't yeah. be part of that well she did get Hannah safe so you know that's I true feel like maybe that was enough at the time um obviously she didn't get agnes out which is a pretty big deal and to me the more not that not that her second child is like less important. All second children out there don't don't hate me. That's totally not what I'm saying. But she got to raise Hannah for a while, and she did not get to raise Daisy. Nicole. Daisy yeah. Nicole. Yeah, for a while. Nicole, and that's Daisy different. Us, when you get to <laughs> know your child as their own human, right? It's different than a baby that maybe was given up for adoption. Yeah, or that's a good like point. That, that you did not right. get to have as much. Some, but not as much bonding time. You know, you didn't see them develop into their own independent being apart from you. That's a different situation. So it seems like even more sad for me that Agnes is the one, Agnes, Hannah, is the one that like is still in Gilead Mm -hmm. up until the end of this book. Because it's like in the TV show, we've seen two different points where June could have got out, but didn't because she would not leave Hannah. So I want to know the point where she did get out and did leave Hannah, you know, yeah. and, did, and yeah. didn't have a choice. What strong force caused her to well, finally leave? And this Could book it be is Hannah and Gilead, yeah. right? Saying, "Listen, we'll work together in right. this." I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. that's a big reach, but yeah, yeah. she's yeah. so. You're right, Leah. She's so adamant in the show. Like, I'm like, get in the van, get in the right. van, get in the van. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> oh wait. I know why you're not getting in the van, but just like I couldn't leave yeah. one of these guys, yeah. right? Like, uh, you know, it's just... So what caused her to finally get out? Yeah. I think yeah. it would have been nice in that scene where June does see her children, like if there was some kind of pointing to that of like... Yes. Thank God for mm-hmm. Aunt Lydia or some kind of just a line yeah. where you're like, ah, oh, they were in cahoots, like from the oh, beginning. Oh, but like, it is in it, the inscription it at the end. Oh, that's true. Right, where they yeah. say, and for the the invaluable whatever... Invaluable services provided oh, yeah. by AL. But I like, didn't know if that was something that I don't feel like that, that references wrote. an overarching, like, her invaluable 
services to June. Oh, but it, I, this memorial was erected by her sisters, Agnes and Nicole, and their mother, their two fathers, their children, and their grandchildren. Right. And in but, recognition of the invaluable services. But you yeah, I am that if that was your children and somebody saved your children, you would be willing to slap your name on that as like also this person, even if that person did horrible things to you, but then they wound up saving both of your children. Wait, are you guys saying I that totally June would. is the one who put this inscription? Like she I was thinking that I it was Agnes and that Nicole. This inscription was like it was group Agnes and Nicole and their mother. Their two, all. yeah, it lists yeah. them all. So it was like oh, you know, maybe yeah. not decision. the children, <laughs> right? Maybe not the grandchildren because right. in my mind, like they would have to be very young at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was a decision that was made by all parties that benefited yeah. from what Aunt Lydia did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. To answer your question, yeah. Would I be able to do that? Like, thank her, even though she got my kids back, even though she was terrible to me? I think no matter how horrible of a thing somebody did to me, if they saved my children's lives and brought them to safety, I would definitely be able to appreciate them. Do you think it's significant that they put A.L. instead of Lydia or Aunt Lydia? I wondered that, too. Like, why? Maybe she's but maybe she was known as somebody like is there a reason to hide who she was right is yeah what I like is she still alive and like escaping prison or something like oh i don't like think she's, she's still alive because she got morphine i can't imagine yeah. no that she would be but like why put dead AL? I, think, yeah. I mean that's an ominous yeah, the, you yeah, know yeah, foreshadow that right. she's she gone says, <clears throat> i'll make a quick exit a needleful or two of morphine will do it best right. that way if i allowed myself to live i would disgorge too much truth yeah. I kept getting confused at that point. Like, I was like, are you, are you taking the morphine right now? Like, are these literal footsteps or are you just like prepared with the mor- morphine and you're going to take it later? Which to me means you're totally going to miss your window <laughs> and you're going to get caught. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was very like, this was the Lydia version of get in the van. Why aren't you getting in the van? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, take the morphine. Yeah. What are you waiting for? You know, it's not going to get better than this. It's only going to get worse. What else mm-hmm. are you going to be able to do? They're gone. You can't do anything. Just take the morphine if you don't want to suffer more. Like, yeah. obviously, that's what's going to happen to you. Why do you think that they would give you a moment to collect yourself and, you know, take two injections just because? I will tell you that inscription is what I think is is what's got me a little bit unnerved about the way it ended for her. Because, really? yes, because I thought, no, why are you thinking her? No. Like, <laughs> did you want her to uh, receive some sort of punishment no, or denigration? I be punished, but I just feel like I needed it to, I needed more detail as to huh. why. Interesting. I don't know. That's like why she got them out in the end? Yeah, and what, why, what is the true motive behind right. this? You could, it can't just be a simple I don't care what the motive as, is if somebody intentionally saved my children. But I feel I that's that it's bigger than it. that. I think it's like just the teardown of Gilead and all of this. Like, how mm-hmm. could you do all of these terrible things and then just say, wait a minute, I don't really believe in this anymore and I'm going to take them down. I mean, it's not that people can't obviously evolve and change. I agree that, like, I do want to know a lot more about, like, when was the turn? What's the turning when point? When was the yes, turning point you. that you decided that, like, okay, not only do I just morally disagree with this and right. I'm, I'm doing what I need to to survive, but I fundamentally disagree with what's happening here, but now I'm going to do something about it. I do have a lot of interest about when that turn happened because it was clearly already in progress before we got to the beginning. And of that's this what book. I needed flushed out for me. Yeah. It's like, and that I think I would have been more satisfied. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there was something like significant in Lydia's life that happened that m- caused that turn to happen. Like, if I was going off the show, I would say, well, you know, something happened to Janine and that broke her heart and that was right, the turning right. point mm-hmm. or something like that, right? 
but that's not connected to the Handmaid's Tale, the book, and the Testament's like storyline. And see, so right? I just I think it's—I think tangent. it's more selfish than it's—it's than we think it is. You think it's like selfish of Aunt Lydia? Like I almost think in her mind, she was like, "Hey, this this is going down, and I'm going down with it. So I want to be involved. Like I want to be known as the person that took it down. Like oh, that is my legacy. Yeah. Oh, that's the legacy I want. Plausible to me. Yeah, I just don't. I can't believe that she did all this just to save these two girls and take down Gilead no, because she wanted a better world, you know? Even after reading what she was like before. I don't know. I don't trust her. <laughs> I don't trust her. She's a, oh. She is, I think, definitely well, you don't have the epitome of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Um, so as I was looking at the questions at the end, you know, for the reader's guide, I, I was struck by number 11, and I was hoping maybe we could look at that question. So oh, it says, when you finish the novel, which of the epigraphs resonated most with you? I do not have a reader's guide. Yeah, oh, I don't have any either. First time I'm I was like, what? Is, uh, yes, please read us the question. Yeah. That's interesting. What? So what okay. are the questions? So, do so wait, tell. I guess. I mean, so you guys don't have the part where she, mm, even her question after the acknowledgments. Barnes and Noble has... Is it a Barnes and Noble sponsored book club? So you guys don't have the Q and A with her, but it's on the um, audio version. The Q and A is, so you have to listen to that. It is. Yeah, you have to go to the next. You have to kind of. Is it a Barnes and Noble audio book? No, it's from iTunes. Oh, I did iTunes. Oh, I did that because she she did this Q and A with her is on that version of the audio book too. So mm-hmm. enlighten us, Angie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're going to have to so make the... photocopies of this and distribute them to the group. Well, <laughs> maybe I, I'll have to do that for you guys tomorrow. But the questions for discussion, so they have like 11 questions. And one, the last one, like I said, is when you finish the novel, which of the epigraphs resonated most with you? Elliot's, Grossman's, or um, Ursula K. Le Guin. So if you go back to the beginning, the epigraphs, remember when it opens oh. up, like, why start this book like this? And <laughs> Uh, which one, having read now, do you feel like makes the most sense or resonate? So, um, see, this first one, this first, I didn't read the other two, but the first one resonated with me. So, every woman is supposed to have the same set of motives or else be a monster. And see, I think Lydia's the monster. But when does she realize that? And that's <laughs> what I need to know. Like, did she know that about herself the whole time? Or is this the monster that's within? Mm-hmm. As I think about, oh, yeah. you know, Lord of the Flies. Like, you oh know, we're gosh, all what yes. we're all we're capable all, of. Yeah. I mean, just that exploration of evil. But she wrestles with it, too. I don't, I don't know. Wow. When I read these, like, beginning of the book, I that every woman is supposed to be, is supposed to have the same set of motives or else be a monster really resonated with me. I have... Um, what seems like a, and it's probably just reflective of the times I was raised in, what seems like a very high propensity of friends who are choosing not to have children. Mm. And it's just not something they choose Mm. to have in their life, and they don't plan on ever changing that. And that seems perfectly fine to me, but, like, they are hyper aware of all of the people in the world to whom that seems, like, the oddest thing. So illogical. You know, like they're like they are missing something well, in their lives, and for them, they're like, no, that's say, just like, you know, well, what's wrong? Why don't you have kids? Yeah. Can you not have children? Do and it's not like to me mostly like about this? that, like yeah. people who just choose some non-traditional path in their life, and how it seems very. Um, I mean, I feel I feel like society forgives it in so many cases, but in this particular one of wanting to have a life that does not involve your own child, does not involve children that you have 
raised and birthed yourself, that that seems like a thing that people just assume even more than other things, even more than blue is for boys and pink is for girls and, you know, traditional roles in a household or traditional roles outside the house. Mm -hmm. I think people don't question um, the decision to have or not to have children in the same way that they do are so willing to question all of those other things. Mm -hmm. And this really rang true for me in that way. But it, of course, like did not carry over for me into the story thinking about Lydia's motives versus everyone Mm -hmm. else's and how she seems so much like a monster for most of our time knowing Lydia (laughs) throughout both books, right? Yeah. I would say the last one for me. Okay. So freedom is a heavy load, a great and strange burden for the spirit to undertake. It's not a gift given, but a choice made. And the choice may be a hard one. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that connects to all Mm -hmm. three characters and what they had to endure and what does freedom really mean to an individual person? Um, Because I do feel like in the end, Lydia, there is a sense of freedom for her. She's released from Mm -hmm. what she's done, like because she has made peace with the holograph and what she wanted to leave for the readers, what she intended to do for the um, young ladies that were, you know, sent back to Canada with all of the info. Everything was carefully controlled down to the last. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. I like the middle one. <laughs> well, I like the middle one when I, I first, right? When the first yeah. time I read it, I was like, ooh, I love that. And that's yeah. what I underlined. But then I was like, oh. Yeah. I'll read it. When, when we look one another in the face, we're neither of us just looking at a face we hate. No, we're gazing into a mirror. Do you really not recognize yourselves in us? Mm. Um, yeah, I like I that I think one. who it is reading, like, the context of this one is also important. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> I cannot pronounce this name. Yeah. This... That one's... Obersturman-Bankfuhrer? That's from... Oh. So it's someone talking to old Bolshevik Mostovsky, Vasily Grossman, Life and Fate. Um, And, of course, the reference Bolshevik immediately sets it in time and place for you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought that just really was meaningful looking back at the quote. Yeah. I, I also liked the... I was thinking about The Handmaid's Tale and June, and that book was when she looks at, uh, what's his face, the husband? What's his name? Can't remember. Which, who she's, which the, who she's uh, Fred. Oh, Waterford. Oh, Waterford. Okay. <laughs> yes. The, it was like her husband? Fred. When, no, sorry. When she looks at him, she says, I don't hate him. I, I, and when I look at him, I don't feel hate or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. love him, mm-hmm. but I don't hate him. Yep. Because I think she has this understanding of, he is a product of this machine that is society right now. And so she, like, empathizes despite not liking what he does. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I feel about Lydia. It's like, I want to hate her, but I also understand what she's doing. And I think she's wrestling, which I think is great. She's wrestling with this, like, okay, I have to survive, and so I've got to do these things. And also, this is how I get power. I might as well do it. And then, I'll, then she comes back to... We all kind of waffle back and forth. Well, that's not the right thing to do. I have to go with my morals, and I need to save things. So mm-hmm. I feel like her skill here is strategy, and so she uses that to try and navigate her morals. Like, she's like, I'm going to be strategic about how I do things, so then in the end, I'll come out on top. But that's why I feel, like, to me, when I connection to The Handmaid's Tale, that's sort of a, a common theme of, like, being not liking it. It's not okay, but not 
just saying, well, they're a monster, you know, we, because I recognize myself in you. Like, uh -huh. we, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think I totally each quote is supposed to be reflective of each narrator? Oh, I don't know. Maybe at different points. I'm running know, the Barnes and Noble like book club questions yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, we'll write the next set. Because <laughs> that almost reminds me of the two sisters, too. I know that's a more like, yeah. literal yeah, like translation <laughs> of it, but... yeah. Like, they were so different, but, I mean, literally, a piece of them was the same. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, then the, that makes me think of the first one about having the same set of motives. Like, that's sort of the Gilead thinking, that all the women, all women mm -hmm. should do a certain thing or they're going to be a monster. Yeah, I mean, it does definitely seem like they think of everybody outside of Gilead as kind of barbarians, mm -hmm. right? Which is kind of ironic because the rest of the world sees them that way in their, in their kind of, like very mindful decision to go back to a way things used to be, but like yeah. in, in stereo, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting what you're saying, Whitney, about the second quote, because I definitely feel that way about how that quote kind of applies to Lydia, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I don't at all feel that way about how that quote would apply to Fred. Like with Fred, yeah, I feel like his gains from it are more egregious. Yeah. And I think that probably just has to do with my perspective, being a woman and, mm -hmm. you know, being able to put myself, myself in both the victims in this case, which is all the other women, mm -hmm. right. um, for both Lydia and Commander Waterford. But with Lydia, I'm also able to put myself in her place much more easily. Right. Um, right. So well, I think I mean, it's I definitely like a product of my <laughs> perspective. But, like, in my mind, I can't make the things that I see that are evil in both of those characters be the same. Equal. Yeah, I don't think for me it's either. much more like Fred is really in it for personal gain and like Lydia is much more in it for like survival mm -hmm. and like while I'm at it I'll mm -hmm. also like survive very comfortably. Right. But for Fred I don't even feel like it was ever about survival. It was just he felt that way already. Yeah. And just yeah. you know took advantage of the situation to to impose those beliefs on the wider the wider world. Yeah, I guess I see it as, like, it's on a spectrum of that yeah. behavior. Because even Jade, Daisy, whatever, baby Nicole, <laughs> you know, punching at Vidala is, like, some kind of version of the same issue. Like, you're doing something terrible to, for the good of something else. And then, <clears throat> and because you have been put in this position and there's not, no other choice. And, like, so Fred, obviously, is more, it's more egregious, like you said, because he's getting more personal gain. But at the same time, if he were to step down and say, I know I'm not going to do that, then he also risks his life in a way as well. Yeah. So like yeah. there's, so oh, I'm yeah. not there saying definitely good, like a tipping like, point at which some... like he could no longer walk away. Right. right. Yeah. 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 I guess I, he I wasn't see on that. He will. Yeah. Spectrum. The point I get, mm -hmm. I think hung up on is like, he willfully walked there. Yes. Whereas yeah, all of the totally women right. were drugged there. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Even Nicole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You guys are so smart. I'm okay. so glad to have had the chance to break down this book with you. Aww. I feel like um, I learned a lot from your different perspectives, so that was really cool. Same. That was great. This was so fun. I know. Can we do another one? <laughs> I mean, maybe Margaret Atwood would get on it. You know, get maybe those books out while you can. We should Booker Prize book and Booker Prize. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. The other Booker Prize winner, mm -hmm. Girl, Woman, Other. I hear it's great. 
Maybe we can. Girl, Maybe. Woman. Okay. I don't know what it's about, but the title sounds appropriate <laughs> for this. Podcast. You should read the synopsis. It sounds really good. Okay. Yeah, and it comes highly recommended by uh, my friend at work. So, because <laughs> I'm sure everybody really cares about that. Um, so yeah, thank you, ladies, for all showing up and yeah, you know you. giving your thoughts fun. and thinking so deeply about our our characters here and what it all means. Yeah. Thank Let's you for having us. Thanks, Thanks, everybody, Justin. for listening. Thank you so much. Yes, we appreciate cheese. you, too. And wine. Yeah, thank you, Justin. <laughs> I don't know how to work the sound panel still. I super appreciate it. Thank you for hey, not we turned it off again. last week. We did okay. It's true. Andy hit a button, <laughs> and it was the right one. Yes, it, it did the right thing. I'm coming over here to hit this button. Hopefully it's the wrong <laughs> button. Yeah.